0: Hello and welcome to Fidelity Next, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast. Fidelity Next is a podcast for post-secondary students, where we'll provide you with the tools you need to navigate your impending careers successfully in today's landscape. On today's show, we welcome Nick Belmare, Equity Research Analyst. At Fidelity Canada, the equity research analysts focus on specific sectors, providing research and analysis to the portfolio managers. Nick provides a breakdown on asset classes on today's show, noting how different asset classes offer varying risk and return opportunities. Nick explains what to consider when comparing investment opportunities and how you could use these insights in your own investing journey. Also today, with host Quinn Flaherty, Nick reflects on how he and the other analysts support the portfolio managers and how the analysts evaluate companies for investments. Additionally, we'll hear a short segment with Quinn and Megan Chen, digital asset strategist, Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Hello Nick, welcome to Fidelity Next. How are you doing?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me today. Thanks so much for joining us here on Fidelity Next. And you know, your role here at Fidelity as an equity research analyst is to find, identify, evaluate and really communicate equity and stock opportunities to our Fidelity Portfolio Managers. So we're really happy to have you on the show today uh, to give your you know, expertise and provide some a- advice to our audience today. And really, my first question for you is for young people, of course, stocks and equities are what many young people associate with financial markets. But there are other asset classes like fixed income and cash that are also investment opportunities to young people and Canadians at large. Maybe I can ask you just quickly, just to kind of explain for young people why equities is an asset class that's really worth considering.
2: Yeah. So all of those investment classes that you mentioned offer investors a different set of risk and rewards. So if we start with cash, for instance, very little risk, but at the same time, there is no return. So over time, keeping your savings in cash means that the purchasing power will likely erode because of inflation. So cash is great for short term savings. If you have a project saving up for a down payment or a vacation and you don't want to risk it. But over time, you'll probably want to get a return. That's where fixed income and bonds come in. This is basically when you lend your capital to a government and a corporation and in exchange you get a fixed coupon. So you are introducing some risk. We'll talk about it later, duration risk, credit risk, but here you get a return. Now, when we talk about stocks or equities, essentially, you are investing in the future cash flows of a company and a company can grow the cash flow over time. So this is why equities over long periods of times have typically outperformed, which means provide a higher return than fixed income and cash. It also comes with higher risk. Many things can can pressure or the cash flows of a company to the downside or cause investors to pay a lower price but this is where the time horizon matters. Over longer time periods, short-term fluctuations matter less and the power of compounding the capital becomes more important. And this is why when you talk about young investors, to the extent that they typically have a, a longer time horizon to invest, they should generally have a higher allocation to equities. And often you would combine these different investments in a portfolio, just depending again, on your time horizon and your risk tolerance.
1: Thanks so much, Nick. And when we talk about, you know, perhaps investing in equities here at Fidelity and having conversations with analysts like yourself and portfolio managers, there's often this word kind of that's mentioned, it's kind of an owner mindset. And it's really important uh, probably to our audience today to understand what you're really doing if you invest in a particular company or equity. Can you just talk quickly at a high level, what investing in a stock really means? Like, what are we really doing?
2: That's a great question. When you buy a stock, you really become a part owner in a business. So imagine there's 100 shares outstanding of a particular business. You buy one share, you own 1% of that business. Why would you do that? Well, it's mostly to basically have a claim on the future cash flows of the company. Now, these cash flows can be paid to you as dividend and generate income, or they can be reinvested in the company in order to grow. And hopefully when you buy shares, you want to sell them at a higher price later If the company grows in the meantime, you will potentially have the opportunity to sell the stock at a higher price to another investor or to an acquirer. And then I would say the second thing is obviously as a part owner of a company, you typically also get voting rights regarding the directors of the company. So you can have an influence on the governance of the business.
1: And of course, being a part owner in a company and in your role as an equity research analyst, You know, there's questions that you need to ask of any business before one invest in it. And of course, if you are invested in a company or a a public equity, what are the questions of the future? And I think this is a fun part of our conversation to really dive into your role. What are the types of questions that, that you ask particular companies if you meet with them or you're evaluating one opportunity against the next? You know, what are those kind of key questions that you ask? And maybe that can be a key part of our conversation here.
2: Yeah, no, this is the same questions you would ask if you were to consider you know, if you were offered the opportunity to invest in a private company, you would ask questions like, is this a good business? Are things getting better or worse? Am I paying a fair price? And why is the seller interested in selling to me in the first place? Right? So if we take a closer look at some of those questions, just in the context of the stock market, well, is this a good business from a quantitative standpoint, a good business typically is one that generates a high return on invested capital over the cycle. And that's easier said than done because highly profitable businesses tend to attract competition. So it's good to ask yourself, why can this company generate a higher return? Maybe they have scale and have a lower cost structure. Maybe they have a product that really delights the customer uh, or there are barriers to switching that allows them to to have pricing power. Or maybe there's a regulatory constraint like a license or a patent that protects their profits. But you wanna ask yourself, is this a good business? Typically, good businesses make good investments, but that's not always the case. That's where there's a couple other questions. Are things getting better or worse? Asking that questions will force you to understand how does this company essentially make a profit? And what are the key drivers behind that? Because when you buy the stock, eventually you want to sell it for a higher price. So what needs to happen between the time you buy and sell? Will the company open a new store, launch new products? Does management have a plan to improve margin? These are the kind of drivers that will push the profitability of the company up over time. Now, even if everything goes according to plan, you could still lose money if you overpay for the business. That's where valuation comes into play. And so valuation, you'll typically look at ratios that connect the price you're paying for business to its fundamentals. So these would be ratios like EV to sales, EV to EBITDA, price to earnings. You can look at those in the historical context of the company relative to comparables in the market or previous transactions. If it's also an early stage business, you may have to take alternative approaches like a discounted cash flow model. And lastly, essentially, again, if someone came to sell you their business, you would want to ask, what do they know that I don't? Or why do they want to sell me in the first place? So remember, when you buy shares in the market, it's the same thing. You're, you're buying it from another investor. So it's always good to ask yourself, you know, why am I different from the consensus view? Or what is at least kind of the, the opposite side? Maybe if I'm positive in a company, what's the negative case on the company? Make sure I have a good handle on that.
1: It's really great to hear that perspective because it's really interesting. There are so many, first off, questions to ask any particular opportunity, but there's both the quantitative, but then asking the right questions as to why us. the seller is willing to sell in the first place, which is really interesting. Maybe I could also ask you, of course, this is a lot of work and there's a lot of questions to ask. Can you just maybe talk a little bit about how you kind of debate and contrast investing opportunities here within the company, you know, obviously you conduct all this fundamental bottom up, you know, research on these companies, but how do these debates happen within the four walls that are behind you here?
2: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So we have a variety of portfolio manager who take a different approach. Maybe they will value more. So I, I gave you a variety of criteria of lenses through which I look at my investment opportunities. Some portfolio managers will put more emphasis on the valuation piece, some more on the growth piece. And basically by debating the ideas with with this team, you get different perspective, people value different things, have different mental models of what makes a good stock. So ultimately the analyst provides a recommendation, but every portfolio manager kind of evaluates through their own lenses. And this is how we can have rich debates
1: within the team. And I'm really glad that you brought up kind of styles and how some portfolio managers lean towards one style over another, because I think it's fair to say for many investors and young investors included, you're really focused on particular qualities or you hear in, in investing news about dividends versus growth versus quality. Can you kind of help our audience today understand when someone says I have a dividend investing style or a high growth style? What does that really mean and how does styles really play into how one invests?
2: Yeah, those, those, all those terms you mentioned typically refer to as factors, right? Factors are basically attributes that are typically associated with a successful investment, right? It makes sense. A high dividend means the company is generally profitable to be able to pay that dividend. Growth you know, high growth means there's a high demand for the product of the company or quality means that there's usually a competitive advantage. So these are all good things. I would just be careful looking at one particular factor. There's no secret recipe. There's no one factor that will consistently work. And usually when one factor gets very crowded, sometimes it's a warning sign. Remember last year, we had some companies that were growing very fast. They were doing very well in the market but they, maybe they weren't profitable or they were very expensive. And so when that factor got crowded, some of these companies were left in the dust. So that's why I, look, I like to look ultimately as investment through multiple lenses. But those factors can be a good starting point to screen for potential ideas. And then I think you want to deepen your research on the company.
1: So Nick, you know here at Fidelity, of course, we have lots of tools and resources and platforms at our disposal to evaluate different investing opportunities. But for our audience today, they of course probably do not have all these tools and resources. So I'm wondering, you know, could you recommend are there any tools or websites that perhaps you may have used when you're at university that our audience today could use to help them perhaps feel a little less lost about their investments?
2: Yeah, if you're new to investing, I would recommend starting by reading a couple books on the topic. We actually have two retired Fidelity portfolio managers that have written great books about investing. I read them one is One Up on Wall Street by Peter Lynch. One is Investing Against the Tide by Anthony Bolton. So this is a great starting point. Read some books. There are others out there. I also personally like to listen to the Fidelity Connects podcast. I continue to learn from my colleagues, analysts, portfolio managers, some macro strategists from Fidelity. That's a great resource to learn about the market. Now, the, you know, there's no, you can read as much as, as you want or listen to others. There's no replacement for for rolling up your sleeve and and starting to dig into investments right if you and you'll see if this is something that's really for you or not and i would recommend i would start by looking potentially at a stock where where can you get an insight maybe it's a company where you consume the product you visit the store you or your family have worked in a, in an industry go on the website the investor relation the website the beauty is that in public investing a lot all the information is out there you can see the annual report, the quarterly report, conference call, investor presentation, and use some of this information to answer some of the questions we discussed earlier in in this discussion. So that's where I would go. There are some websites that help to clean up and present the financial information. For instance, Morningstar is one you can use to go and have kind of the historical financial statements presented in a a user-friendly way. But this is really where I would start as a, as a new investor.
1: And I'm glad you brought up Fidelity Connect's podcast because Fidelity does provide a whole range of information and tools that you, our audience members, can consider using wherever you are at on your investing journey. And I believe, I feel confidently that it will help you feel a little less lost about your investments, that's for sure. Speaking of investing, Nick, you know we talked a little bit about this today, but there are risks involved with investing, of course. And at the same time as we talk about long-term appreciation, of assets, specifically equities. There is risk involved with investing. And maybe I can ask you just to summarize those risks for our audience today.
2: And I think that's the most important is to be aware of those risks before you you invest, because if you are not, you can become your own worst enemy in a way, because let's say you invest in stocks and you're not anticipating that they can go down in value over a short or medium period of time. Well, you may be caught off guard and sell at low levels and only come back in the market at higher levels. So just coming prepared and understanding those risks really kind of help navigate uh, through them. So we discussed earlier, even on fixed income or bonds, there are some risks, namely when I said duration, it means that if you buy long-term bonds, when interest rates go up, the value of a bond portfolio will go down over a short period of time there's also credit risk. That means if you lend to corporates or more uh, risky borrowers, there's a risk that they will not pay back and you will suffer a loss. So those are the main risks to think about on the fixed income side. Now, equities, there's a whole variety of risks that can be specific to a company, to their industry or the economy in general, that would pressure their profitability or the multiple the market would be willing to pay. I think there are ways to mitigate this. Obviously, diversification. Don't put all your eggs in the same basket, maybe across different stocks, different industries, maybe different countries that can help. And we talked about thinking over a longer term horizon. So if you take a longer time period, the number of periods where you see a negative return is less when you extend your time horizon. So those would be some tips, you know, in terms of thinking about the risk, but also how to mitigate it.
1: And maybe, Nick, you just talked about diversification and thinking long-term. Those seem also to be kind of lessons learned with experience in, with investing. And maybe the last question I can ask you here is, You know, what are some of your lessons learned throughout your career at Fidelity in the investing world, but also even before you joined Fidelity with your investment club at McGill and even before then? Maybe you could talk to our audience today about you know, feeling lost yourself about your investments and where you're at today.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's... Again, this is this, you know, picking stocks, you always are going to make a number of mistakes, right? Not everything can be predicted. I think the best way to learn, once again, is to do trial and errors. I started investing a little bit when I was even in high school. Back then, I had read a lot of books about, you know, the benefits of buying cheap stocks, right? Like low valuation metrics. And that was just before the financial crisis. A lot of these stocks ended up, you know, eventually going bankrupt. And so one of the lessons for me was to pay more attention to these other factors, you know, the trajectory of the company, the quality of the company. And so I'm refining and improving my investment process through all those years. And this continues. I think what really helps if you want to continue to learn is always try to document why are you buying this particular stock or this asset or even this cryptocurrency? write it down. What is my investment thesis? That's something we do at Fidelity. All the analysts we have for each of our stock, whether we like it or we don't like it, we put a couple bullet points of why we have a recommendation to buy or sell. And this helps us know is this thesis still valid, but also when things go right or when things go wrong, we can evaluate why went wrong, why went right, and then draw uh, any lessons to be able to improve the next time. So that's something I would recommend to any new investor, kind of like just document everything you do, even if it's just for yourself. When I was in high school, again, I started a blog about investing. So you can even, if you can share with others and get some feedback, that's that's even better. And maybe you discover also, you know, investing or picking stock maybe is not for you. There are alternatives. You can go to a professional manager to a mutual fund or buy an index, where you buy a little bit of many stocks in a, in a benchmark. But, you know, I would that's what I would really recommend. You know, try and especially document your actions. And that's the best way to learn.
1: Fantastic. Thanks so much, Nick, for uh, taking some of these questions here. We always appreciate you being here on Fidelity Next, and we'll hope to bring you back in the future. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Nick Bellamere. Now, let's talk about a different type of investment, cryptocurrencies. And so, what we want to do is we had a conversation with Megan Chen, and we talked a little bit about blockchain technology. And then we followed up that question with well, what does cryptocurrency offer as a potential investment, especially for young investors like yourself? Megan, welcome to Fidelity Next. How are you doing today?
3: Good. How are you?
1: Very good. Thank you. We're so happy to have you on Fidelity Next because of the results of a recent poll that we conducted on our official Fidelity Canada LinkedIn page. And we asked our audience, you know, what is the investment that confuses you the most? And overwhelmingly, the response was cryptocurrencies. And so we're so glad to have you to provide some perspectives and information for our audience today, specifically on cryptocurrencies themselves. And really, maybe we should start off our conversation with what exactly are cryptocurrencies?
3: Sure. So cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ether are digital currencies that live on something called blockchain networks. So instead of relying on a central entity to internally bookkeep transactions and user balances, blockchain networks like Bitcoin or Ethereum um, are decentralized networks of computers. That each verify and process cryptocurrency transactions and keep a history, uh, keep a record of the transaction history in the form of what's called a blockchain. And a blockchain is simply just a chain of blocks, and each block specifies a set of transactions. So over time, as more transactions happen, the blockchain gets longer and longer. But it's essentially a ledger, a transaction history record. So this idea. The idea of decentralization is really at the heart of the value proposition of blockchain. Now, there are several potential advantages of using uh, public blockchains, and I'll, I'll just give three key ones. So one is greater security, because there's no central point of vulnerability. There's no need to trust a central entity to operate the system and run its applications. No one entity can shut down the network. Secondly, better accessibility. So it's permissionless to access blockchain applications and it's resistant to censorship. And thirdly is self-custody. So what this means is that there's no need to trust a bank or a custodian or another party to keep custody of your assets because uh, people can choose the custody assets on the blockchain themselves. So I would say those are the three key potential advantages of blockchain.
1: And of course, now cryptocurrencies are kind of a new kind of asset class in which Canadians may consider investing in. And so maybe my follow up question to you, when it comes to cryptocurrencies, what should Canadians consider when thinking about cryptocurrencies as a potential investment opportunity?
3: So the first thing I would say is that cryptocurrencies have historically been highly volatile assets. Uh, the two largest cryptocurrencies by market cap, Bitcoin and Ether, uh, each have annualized standard deviations that are many times higher than what we see in equity markets. So for that reason, we recommend a small crypto allocation of 1% to 3% for a typical retail investor. Recently, the correlation between cryptos like Bitcoin and Ether and risky assets like stocks have picked up. I would say it's more of a growth equity replacement when thinking about portfolio construction.
1: Excellent. Thanks so much, Megan, for joining us on Fidelity Next and hope to have you on a future show in the coming months ahead. Thanks again.
3: Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Next podcast, brought to you by Fidelity Investments Canada. You can visit fidelity.ca for details on future live webcasts. Follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and subscribe to our podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave a review or a five-star rating. Thanks. See you next time.